0: This is the GirlsPlayFooty.com podcast. Coming up on the 35th episode of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, we head to the United States and catch up with the Des Moines Roosters' Emily Rice. We preview the AFL Euro Cup with Scottish Sirens' Kirsty Gray, Welsh Wyverns' Eleanor O'Connell and the England Vixens' Alex Salter. Plus, we review the VFL Women's Grand Final with Matthew Cox. That's all coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the girlsplayfooty.com podcast, episode 35, season 3. Great to have your company. And a quick reminder, you can listen to this podcast as a radio program, Wednesday evenings from about 6pm on RSN Carnival, that's digital radio in Melbourne, or via the RSN Racing and Sport App. Now, one big piece of news that broke between us recording our radio program and it airing on the radio over that 24-hour period was, of course, the AFLW licences. So we didn't mention it on the radio program, only on the podcast. We hope to get some interviews for you next week. But, of course, the AFL announced that there'll be six further licences handed out in 2019-2019. Geelong and North Melbourne will enter the AFLW competition, North Melbourne being a Tasmanian-North Melbourne hybrid team. Uh, and in 2020, the West Coast Eagles, Gold Coast Suns, Richmond Tigers and St Kilda Saints will also enter the AFL women's competition. Hawthorne and Essendon were not allocated licences and the AFL said they would work with them in the future to try and build them up to enter the AFLW competition. On that note, Hawthorne do have a side in the VFL women's competition under the name of Box Hill Hawks. And Essendon have indicated they'd like to field a VFLW team for the 2018 season. Now, over the next couple of weeks, we'll be turning our attention to women's footy overseas, as coming up in early October is the AFL Euro Cup. It's a -a nine-a-side tournament being played in Bordeaux. We're over in the United States in late October. will be the USAFL Nationals in San Diego, California. Of course, they claim it to be the biggest footy tournament in the world, and we'll be covering both of those tournaments over the coming weeks here on Girls Play Footy. First of all, let's head to the United States and into the Midwest, where there's the Des Moines Roosters. Well, that's at least what they're known as. The men on the women's side, they're toying around with the idea of calling their team the Des Moines Lady Dippers. Now, at the moment, they officially just have one player registered. She happens to be the president of the club, which encompasses looking after the men's side as well. But she's trying her very best to try and spread the word of women's footy throughout Iowa and hopefully be able to take a few fellow players with her tonight. The nationals this year, but also as well build the team in Iowa so they can take on teams like Minnesota and eventually travel to play Denver over to the West Coast and then over to the East Coast. It's great to have on the line from the Des Moines Football Club, the one and only Emily Rice. Emily, how are you? Oh,
1: I'm great. Thanks
0: for having me. Uh, great to have you on the line here with Girls Play Footy. Like we ask everyone who wasn't uh, born and bred Aussie, uh, how did you first stumble across Aussie Rules Football? Chasing
1: attractive gents, I guess. Um, I have some mutual friends that were playing footy, and they suggested that uh, coming down and meeting the team was a good way to find some uh, suitable gentlemen. Uh, So I met them all at a bar at one of the host bars and then um, took to going and watching games and dating one of the roosters. And uh, after spectating for a few years, I decided I should uh, join the fray.
0: And that you did, you ended up playing as uh, the first uh, woman with uh, Des Moines. Now, for yourself, uh, when you train with the men and, and play games because you have the Metro competitions, is that a full contact sport that you're involved in, whether you play with the men or are you playing in the, what we call the more Osball or co-ed type games? It's full
1: contact. Yeah, I'm a pretty big proponent of uh, mixed gender training. I think it challenges everybody. Um, you know, we, since I'm only one person right now for the women's team, I have limited options for getting clock time, and in fact, I played uh, in one of the men's games when we traveled to Denver, uh, when the Roosters played the Denver Bulldogs, so uh, I just joined on one of the sides in that game and played the full contact game then.
0: And being the first woman from Des Moines, you also had the opportunity to travel to the USAFL Nationals last year in Sarasota. How did you find that uh, experience playing, if I'm correct, with the Wild Bunch, the uh, Boston-Montreal combination?
1: I thought it was a great time. Those were actually my first matches. So I had trained with the men for most of the last season and then went to nationals, took my cleats and kind of impromptu decided to play during the tournament. And I found it exhilarating. It was really fun to return to a team sport. And uh, I really enjoyed the challenge. I think I've got the bug now.
0: From coming out of that game, what were some of the skills that you thought that uh, you did okay with but now that you need to clean up uh, and improve on as you uh, pursue your footy career?
1: Yeah, this year I've been working on um, just being more aggressive and coming out of the ball and keeping my hands in front. Um, Growing up in the States, you know, we're used to American football and catching the ball um, kind of, you know, into your body. And so kind of breaking that habit was my biggest challenge. So I've been working a lot on that this year. Um, And then obviously conditioning is is a big big challenge. You know, I think um, we always hear – footy requires a lot of running but then when you get out and play a full game of footy um, it becomes more real and so conditioning has also been a big challenge and I've been trying
0: to work on that this season. So the Des Moines Roosters of course is the men's side that's uh, based out of Iowa just to give us a quick little glimpse into that what have the numbers been like on the men's side?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, we've got quite a few of our veteran players that um, are having kids, getting married, and so they're not as committed uh, to traveling with the team. So in the last year or so, it's been quite a challenge for us to field a full 18th side. Um, but, you know, back four or five years, the Roosters did, you know, win our division at the national tournaments, and, you know, we were quite a competitive team. Um, you know, it's always a challenge, especially with a small market in Des Moines, Iowa, to, to fill a full men's side, and, you know, We also have the administrative challenge of of getting help, you know, marketing and recruiting. And so um, I, I think with our small market, it's just a challenge to get enough
0: men out. And for the women, as you mentioned, you're the first. You're the Des Moines Lady Dippers at the moment. So what have you been trying to do to try and create interest amongst the female sporting community to try and look at and take up Aussie Rules football?
1: Yeah, so this winter, I was focusing on um, just reaching out through some of my old sporting networks and finding people. I was courting um, half a dozen women during the winter season, um, just trying to get them pumped up. And actually, I had six or seven women come out to a clinic that we had at the beginning of the season. And quite a few of them came back to a few trainings. Um, but we had a girl fracture her thumb at that clinic Um You know, a couple get scared off by the conditioning, and then um, a few just didn't want to commit or couldn't commit to the time requirements. So, um, you know, we had a really promising start to the season where, you know, I I had a half a dozen gals come out, and they just haven't stuck through it throughout the season. Um, In Des Moines, we also have, you know, roller derby. There's a women's football team. Um, There's also rugby. Rugby is is blowing up in Iowa right now, and so, um, you know, we kind of have to poach from other sports if we're going to find, you know, female athletes, um, you know, at this stage who are you know willing to commit to this kind of sport, so that's a big challenge for us, is, you know, there's a limited market, limited amount of female athletes that want to play a full contact sport, and some of them are already playing other contact sports.
0: Is it harder to try and recruit people in the Midwest of the USA compared to, as we say, for example, an LA, San Francisco, or in New York, uh, or a Boston, where those cities are more uh, transitional cities, people are going through for work or university, et cetera. Is it harder to try and establish a foothold there in Iowa? Absolutely.
1: I mean, they have the advantage of having a much larger pool to draw from. You know, um, the city of Des Moines, you know, we've got, you know, maybe a million people in, like, the Des Moines metro, so there's all these other smaller states that um, are right outside of Des Moines, and that's not a big pool to draw from, and so that's a huge challenge, um, and then, you know, also the weather is a big factor. You know, we have pretty rough winters here, and so we can get a lot of snow, um, a lot of rain, and, um, you know, a lot of people in Iowa joke that, you know, when it is nice outside, they're plain outside, but, you know, when it's not, I mean, people are kind of sheltered, and and hiding inside. So weather's a factor here as well as the the community size.
0: In an ideal world, uh, what what do you think could help you to try and spread the game and spread the word of Aussie rules in Des Moines?
1: Um, Money. (laughs) I think think funding helps. I think also having volunteers and having people who aren't trying to work and play at the same time, um, you know, Help pull some of the administrative weight. Uh, I'm actually the president of the club this year as well, and so, you know, I've got a lot of administrative obligations, and it becomes quite a challenge to recruit and market and fundraise and do all those things to build the club. Um, also, we don't have a lot of clubs that are in close proximity, and so, especially for women, there's a women's team north of us in Minnesota, but there's really not another women's team as a full A-team aside anywhere close. And so it becomes a really big challenge getting people to travel to Des Moines, getting people to travel outside of Des Moines. It's a huge time commitment, and it's a financial burden. You know, some people who may not have, you know, the excess funds to spend on, you know, traveling weekends to go play footy.
0: And uh, talking about uh, traveling, uh, the Nationals are coming up next month in San Diego. Will you be making the trip for your second Nationals?
1: Absolutely. And I'm really excited. I've gotten a lot more clock time this year. I was actually in Australia for the International Cup to uh, cheer on some of our roosters that made the USA team. And so I, you know, I felt really, really pumped up to come play um, at nationals and hopefully maybe uh, make some kind of an impression. Maybe I can make the Liberty or the Women's Freedom team.
0: Well, Emily, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best in trying to grow the game of Aussie Royals football, particularly for women in Des Moines, Iowa. Great. Thanks again. And if you want to know any more about the Des Moines Lady Dippers women's footy team, uh, you can simply go onto Facebook or Google and just search for Des Moines Roosters. That's Des Moines Roosters. Time to turn our attention to Europe now. Coming up in uh, about a week and a half's time will be the AFL Euro Cup in Bordeaux, a one-day, nine-a-side tournament. The reigning champions are the Irish Banshees, and there's plenty of teams looking to knock them off. One of them include the Scottish Sirens. They're ever-improving. In fact, they claimed the scalp of the French team in the last tournament, and it's great to have on the line from the Sirens team. She represented the GB Swans just a uh, month or so ago in Australia at IC17. The one and only Kirsty Gray. Kirsty, how are you?
2: I'm very well. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Great to have you here. Now, like we we'll ask everyone, that uh, isn't a born and bred Aussie. How did you first stumble across Aussie Rules football?
2: Um, well, I actually came across Aussie Rules in Ireland. Um, my other sport is shinty, and I was over in Ireland watching um, the compromise rules between shinty and hurling, and then I stayed on to watch the, the Gaelic football versus um, Aussie Rules and. I just kind of thought, what is this crazy sport? It looks great fun. So um, when I got back home, I found out there was a club in Glasgow and uh, I started playing then.
0: So how long have you been pulling on the jumper for the Greater Glasgow Giants?
2: (laughs) Um, I've been playing for the Giants now for about three years. Um, Previously to that, um, I played with uh, the Glasgow Sharks, which are the original Glasgow team. So in all in all, I've been playing for about five years.
0: Of course, just recently you had the opportunity to uh, play with the GB Swans at IC17. Can you tell us about that experience?
2: Oh, it was a fantastic experience. I really enjoyed it from start to finish. Um, great bunch of girls being with the GB Swans and um, our coaching staff were fantastic as well. And It was just so great to, to be at the, the home of city in Melbourne and to experience the um, a great tournament and um, the, the hospitality we received from everybody was just fantastic so absolutely loved every minute of it.
0: And what do you think you can take away from that experience as a footballer to try and learn and develop?
2: Oh, it's just great to, to go and um, get the opportunity to, to train with... Um, teams in Melbourne we did some training with Melbourne Uni one night and it got shown around various facilities and, and then playing in the 18 a side format as well was a great experience because over here in, um, in Scotland we tend to play 9 a side um, so, so 18 a side wasn't something I've had a lot of experience of before joining the GP squad and so it was good just to, to get the experience of, of playing in a full size pitch in a full size format and um, just, just picking up tips from, from everybody our, our coaches and um and uh, some of the ESLW the players that would have been met along the way, which uh, was really, um, really great and um, quite inspirational as well.
0: Now, of course, the Scottish Sirens side are back together. I think 2016 they played after a year off. So, so what have the, the girls learnt from the 2016 experience at the Euro Cup that they've been trying to work on as the Sirens side to improve your performances at Euro Cup in 2017?
2: Sure, well, In 2016, say we, we came back after a year out, if you like, and um, I thought we did pretty well um, under the circumstances. We hadn't really um, played very much together. Um, some of our girls were, were quite new to the sport as well. So we so were trying to put in the deep end a wee bit and um, we, we did well. We, we didn't do it perhaps as well as we wanted to, but given that we'd only just come together... Um, you know, and then it was very hot to sell, which we're not doing good at dealing with. So we did well in the circumstances, and I think this year we're really looking to build on that and have a, a better finish uh, and use some of the experience that a lot of us have, um, have gained over in Australia to, to have a strong tournament.
0: Have you been able to train more regularly than last time?
2: Um, yeah, we're, we're trying to, to train um, at least once a week. Um, we haven't been able to get together as, as a full squad because some of our, our girls are based down in London. Um, but just even with, with us, um, the bulk of us playing in Australia, we've been together now as a, as a group for um, you know, quite, quite a while and just starting to learn more about how each other plays, which is a big thing as well. So, um, yeah, we're really building on what we, we kind of the groundwork we laid last year to, to kind of push on and, and hope we have a better tournament.
0: And which players from your side are you expecting to have a big tournament in Bordeaux?
2: Uh, there's quite a few of us I think will hopefully have an impact um, I think probably the main ones for me to watch out for are um, Laura Park who's um, one of our younger players she had a, a great tournament over in Australia she's only been playing for about a year or so um, she's got a really good mark on her and has got a good eye for goal uh, and then Caroline Feller who is the vice-captain of the GB Swans um, she's got a great kick um, especially for finishing for goals so she'll be one to watch out for and um, we've got Rachel Martin in, in the ruck, who's um, captain of Wimbledon Hawks this year down in the London League. So she's a big player for us, um, both on and off the pitch. So she'll be one to look
0: out for too. Which sides are you hoping to be able to knock off through the tournament? Obviously, the standout teams are being, um, being England, uh, the Vixens are winning it in 2015 and the Irish are winning it in 2016. Um, it'd be a big task to be able to knock off one of those two sides. But what are some of the other countries you think you hopefully might be able to get the better of?
2: Um, well last year we, we got um, a good win against France in our opening game so we'll be hoping we can give them a good game um, and the, the Swedish as well have heard they're going to be a strong team this year so um, it'll be good to put ourselves against them and have a good result and um, you never know we might give England a good game we, we know them really well now from um, our time in the G P fund so um, we might cause an upset there we'll see how it goes.
0: And how difficult is it to playing in this tournament? Because if I'm correct, there's something like three or four games on the one day. Uh, what do you look at when you build a squad and the death? Is it a case of stamina, running speed? What are you looking at to be able to try and have the players that can get through three or four games in a day?
2: Yeah, well, fitness is really important, and that's something that we identified from last year that we needed to work on. So um, credit to a lot of our girls who have put in a lot of work um, Personally, to get themselves better and um, in better shape than last year, so I think from that point of view we're in better shape than, than we were last year. And it's just really about making sure um, you conserve your energy throughout the day as well, and that you're not kind of picking up injuries as far as possible. Um we've got quite a, a, a small squad—13 um, announced, but two of our girls have actually got um, picked up injuries since then. So we'll be going with um, a squad of 11. So, but that, that could be quite um, challenging if we pick up some injuries. So we'll need to, to watch out for that.
0: Well, cross fingers, you hopefully uh, managed to get through uh, injury-free up into the tournament and everything runs smoothly for you. Uh, Kirsty, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy and we wish you all the very best in early October as you head to Bordeaux to take part in the AFL Euro Cup. Thanks very much, Peter. Continuing our focus on the AFL Euro Cup, we now head south to England, where the Vixens will be looking to go one better than last year after going down to the Irish Banshees in the 2016 AFL Euro Cup tournament. Well, it's great to have on the line a woman who also represented the GB Swans along with her sister. The Salter Sisters were absolutely sensational throughout the IC17 tournament, and no doubt they'll also be wreaking havoc throughout the AFL Euro Cup. It's great to have on the line. Alex Salter for the Nottingham Scorpions. Alex how are you? Yes I'm
3: doing well thanks and it's great to speak to you.
0: Great to have you on the line but first of all like we ask everyone that isn't a born and bred Aussie, how did you come across Aussie rules football? Uh, well
3: I play soccer um, over here in England and I play with uh, Laura Turner and Rania Ramadan and they played the sport and said, why don't you come down and give it a go? So I actually went up to Newcastle for my first match in May 2015 and just absolutely fell in love with the sport. It's just the most frantic um, game that I'd ever played, and I just loved it. So, uh, yeah, just carried on playing ever since.
0: And how did you find the transition to picking up the skills? Because watching yourself and your sister, Danny as well, play for the GB Swans, you both seem to be naturals.
3: Yeah, I think um, coming from a soccer background it really helps with the kicking and also the positional play obviously we have to change our kicking style slightly for for Aussie rules the the leg's got to be a lot straighter but yeah it's definitely helped picking up the handballs has been the hard bit especially getting the timing right if someone's coming round but um, playing loads of different sports um, all my life it's really helped me um, adapt to Aussie
0: rules Just having a look at some of the teams that you've played for, first of all locally for the Nottingham Scorpions when was the last time the Scorpions ever lost a game because I've been flicking through, particularly this year the, the, the to- rare times you've been able to get together as a team and uh, take on tournaments up in Glasgow whether at home hosting sites etc uh, the, the Scorpions have been impossible to beat
3: yeah, we've done well, to be honest, for our uh, our first year as a club. Um, we had a cool group of girls, and then we've, you know, done taster sessions and got a lot more girls involved, which has been brilliant. And, yeah, we just seem to click and play together well. Having, you know, regular training sessions every Thursday has really helped us gel together. Um, and it's great that I can say that seven of the England Vixen teams are um, Scorpions players. And then also, even with the men's team, three of the men's um, Dragon players of um, Scorpions players, and uh, we've even got a couple of girls playing for the Welsh and Danish team, so... Scorpions are well
0: represented. Certainly something in the water in Nottingham that's uh, helping you out. Um, the, G- <laughs> the GB Swans you had the honour of also uh, representing in August this year at IC17. How did you find the experience of coming down to Melbourne and playing in that tournament? Uh, it was actually. Absolutely- Absolutely
3: incredible. Uh, One of the best experiences of my life to be um, in the home of AFL was amazing. Um, And not having to explain what AFL was to people was a novelty. Um, But yeah, playing those five games at the standard that it was played was brilliant. I learned a lot about the game out there. And also doing all the extra things that we did, like going to Katie Brennan's Performance Centre or going down and training with Melbourne Uni was just, invaluable experience and it, it made me fall in love with the game even more and I'm just so excited to, you know, while I'm back here just grow it, grow the game even more.
0: So as soon as you've got back after finishing third for the GB Swan, your focus has turned to the England Vixens, as you said, uh, you're lucky enough that uh, another six of your teammates uh, Nottingham Scorpions players. Have the whole England Vixen squad been able to get together at any stage over this last month or so to be able to train as a unit before heading over to Bordeaux? Uh, yes, we have. When we had the, um, the
3: trials in June, I think it was, we had some dates set in then saying, look, girls, our coach Adams said... You know, he wants everyone to try and get together so that we can really practice tactics and gameplay. Um, so earlier this month, we had a training session in Nottingham where we worked on exactly that, the gameplay and set plays and the tactics that we wanted to go through while we were out there. And then a week later, we had a friendly match down in London against the Wandsworth Demons. And we were able to put into practice what we'd learned the, the week before. Um, that was a really good game. It was very physical. And unfortunately, I couldn't play in that because I had a bit of a sore, sore shoulder. But watching on, the girls were a bit slow to start with, but then they got into the game. Obviously, transitioning from 18 to 9s is very different. 9s is a lot faster. Um, so, But yeah, the girls soon picked up, and it was a good win in the end.
0: As you mentioned there, how difficult is that transition from playing 18-a-side football where you're using a lot more space, a lot more switching options, a lot more precision kicking, to the frantic pace of 9-a-side and playing on that smaller, compact field?
3: Yeah, it is. in terms of in fitness levels, um, you need to be a lot fit for 9s. You are just constantly running. Um, but we actually find that you get um, more space in 9s. Um, you know just some quick footwork and you're away from a player and you've got space in front to run into or pick out the right path and we find that you can you can play proper for more. um you know it's not as much on the floor as it is in eighteen and you can really do some great link up play and passages of play so yeah it's, uh we we enjoy nines a lot.
0: And how important is squad depth as well heading into Bordeaux? Because you play something like three or four games, perhaps even five, depending on the fixture, in the one day.
3: Yeah, oh, squad depth is very important. And I think this year, the standard of the English girls is is immense. Um, year on year, it's got better and better. Um, and this year, it really is brilliant. And even, you know, in the trials, we were turning down good players, which... It's hard to do, but it's the kind of position that you want to be in because it means that the girls that you're taking out there are just, you know, the best of the best. And it's brilliant that the changes when we, you know, need to make subs, the person coming in is just, you know, at the top standard as well. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's looking good for Bordeaux.
0: And how do you feel about getting possible revenge on the Irish who uh, got the better of you in the last Euro Cup?
3: Yes, uh, I'm looking forward to it so much I'm, I'm going out there. I want to beat the Irish, especially um, after the IC as well, where they uh, you know we were seven minutes away from the finals, but the GB Swans and then Ireland uh, you know got a couple of goals to go through instead. so it's uh, it's a big rivalry between the uh, Piing and the Irish, and I'm looking forward to uh, reigniting it in Bordeaux.
0: And just quickly as well, before we let you go, Alex, as you said, it, uh, the IC17 reignited your uh, passion for AFL. Have you thought at any stage of maybe one day, whether it be this year or somewhere down the track of going, I'm going to throw my hat into the ring of the AFLW draft and see what happens? Ooh, don't know about
3: the AFLW draft, but I am, um, I am interested in coming over to Australia and maybe doing a season out there. Um, it's something that's in the pipeline. I hope it will. Uh, I hope it will happen, but there's just a couple of things I've got to work out back here first. But yeah, it's something I'm. I'm looking to do.
0: Well, Alex, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best uh, in early October in Bordeaux uh, when you play in the AFL Euro Cup representing the England Vixens. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Now, one of the new teams that will be taking part at the AFL Euro Cup in Bordeaux, France is the Welsh Wyverns. Now, they haven't been able to get a full squad together. So what they'll be doing is they'll be teaming up with the Danish Valkyries to send their combined side to Bordeaux in a week and a half's time. But it's still great to see that they're trying to grow women's footy there in Wales, particularly after the tryout days a couple of months ago in Cardiff. And we have got On the line, an Aussie that's helping drive this, Eleanor O'Connell. Eleanor, how are you? I'm
4: well, thank you. How are you?
0: Not too bad at all. Now, as we ask all our guests on the show, first of all, how did you come across playing Aussie Rules football?
4: Um, I'm actually from Australia, and um, so I played it in high school um, before moving over to the UK. Um, And then I joined an American football team, and the Cardiff men's team approached our women's marriage football
0: team. And it all went from there because at the moment in Wales, they've been trying to develop women's football. We promoted, of course, a couple of months ago, uh, the card of Tryout Day. How has that been, trying to attract women from uh, in the southwest of England or throughout Wales to play Aussie rules?
4: Um, it's been a bit difficult because uh, a lot of girls just play rugby. Um, and so it kind of kind of conflicts with their training schedule,
2: so it has been a bit difficult
0: pulling them from that side of the sport. Well, we hope that the battle keeps going strong because, as we know, the competition's going uh, uh, really great in London. Uh, We've got a team, obviously, up in Nottingham and throughout Glasgow, which represents the Scottish Sirens. Now, uh, the Welsh team, the Wyverns, are going to be uh, participating in the Euro Cup, but they're playing with the Danish Valkyries. Can you explain what's happened there?
4: Um, So, basically, the Danish girls approached... um, our team organiser, and said that they were short of numbers um, and also because we were short of numbers too it made a really smart decision to actually combine the two teams and just indoctrinate some of the uh, Danish girls into Wales.
0: So we have this combined side now. How many uh, players in the end did the Welsh manage to get up?
4: Um, I think we have four from our training squad at the moment and then I think we're approaching a couple from Welsh girls who are currently in London and I think that takes us to seven or eight and I think the Danish girls have
0: seven as well. So it's good at least that half the side will be uh, Welsh. Um, focusing on that uh, because you've got obviously two teams from two different countries trying to merge together as one, has there been much communication, has there been Facebook groups etc to try and at least uh, get to know each other and get some semblance of a game plan before you head over to Bordeaux.
4: Yeah, so we have a Facebook um, chat where we're just trying to kind of keep friendly banter and conversation going, um, and also uh, the Welsh girls went up to London to meet a couple of our players that were going to coach from up there, and we played a game with them, which was really fun.
0: Now, from an Aussie point of view, you've got to see some of the Welsh girls. What is their talent like at the moment? Because I'm guessing for those that aren't in London, that the skills are still fairly raw at the moment?
4: Well, I, I've actually been really impressed with what I've seen um, because a lot of the girls who do pop by and like join in with the team because they're all coming from some kind of sport background. They're all kind of bringing in their own sport. So, like, I have a fellow American football player who is an absolute dinosaur like she just smashes through everything she's amazing um so i think that's really helped as well
0: and who are some of the standouts that you think are going to go well for the welsh and this combined team at the euro cup besides obviously your friend the dinosaur (laughs) (laughs)
4: um well there's um a couple of girls welsh girls up in london who uh look very very impressive like just speed um and also their knowledge of the game is going to help us, new girls, a lot. Um, so yeah, that's that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be a big help.
0: Uh, I guess the important question is as well: Will Lucy Jones be pulling on the jumper for the Welsh? Who, um, besides an, an injury at the end, she was having a great tournament for the GB Swans at IC17. Yeah,
4: that was really disappointing when we heard about that. Um, yeah, because she kind of mentioned it in the group chat that we have, and so that was a big disappointment. Um, but Hopefully we'll still see her there, and she'll still be able to give us a hand with some advice and and whatnot.
0: Indeed, and everyone's hoping that the Welsh does go well in their first tournament. How much would it mean to, I guess, uh, the development of Welsh women's football if you can sneak a win or two at the tournament?
4: Oh, it would be absolutely fantastic if we could get the publicity in, and you know, really show that this is something that's happening, and that the team isn't just willy nilly, and we are actually pretty decent in what we're doing. That would
0: be awesome. that would be fantastic. Well, Eleanor, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. And we wish your Welsh Wyverns, teaming together with the Danish Valkyries, all the very best at the Euro Cup in Bordeaux. Thank you so much. So you've heard from the Scottish, English and Welsh. We'll be we speaking to the Irish and a number of the European-based teams that are taking part in the Euro Cup on next week's program. So the State League season is officially over in Victoria after the VFLW Grand Final was played last Sunday at Had Stadium. Diamond Creek went in favourites after knocking off the Falcons in the major semi-final, but grand final experience shone through once again for Darabin, who went on to claim their fifth flag in a row, their tenth in 13 attempts, and their five in a row equals the Peter Searle era in which they won five flags in 2006 through to 2010. A sensational effort from the Darabin Falcons to take out the VFLW Premiership. And I've got on the line to look back at the grand final, our league caller on RSN Carnival in Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you?
5: Disappointed that another season's come to an end but uh, ecstatic at the way that it finished off. Um, We started off slow the grand final on Sunday afternoon but uh, boy it finished with uh, a couple of twists and turns and uh, looking forward to dissecting it with you right now.
0: Well, heading into the game, Diamond Creek were favourites, at least with the Girls Play Footy radio commentary team. Five of the six commentators, by Christy Williams, selected Diamond Creek to win, Christy being the lone wolf decided to back Darabin and was correct at the end. Um, Of course, when we spoke on our weekly show, we didn't know the news at that stage until it was revealed that Christina Bernardi was going to be out because she had a trip to South Africa already pre-booked and pre-planned and pre-paid for the whole lot. When the original VFLW fixture came out, of course the fixture was adjusted at the start of the season to finish a week later, so they could play this game at Etihad Stadium. She was a big out, but just quietly, Coxie. Even if she was playing, considering the movement of the ball from Diamond Creek, I'm not quite sure she would have been enough to flip the uh, to flip the score.
5: No, I think you're right with that comment. I, 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 even though she was pivotal in the in the major semi final against the Falcons, especially in the first term. Um, she I don't think would have won them the game that the supply to the Diamond Creek forward line just wasn't there in the first half and uh that wouldn't have been able to give her uh, the opportunity to create some sort of presence and, and tackling pressure inside attacking 50. So even though it was a big loss and a big out for the Creekers, I don't think it would have turned the tables uh, too greatly because they were just overwhelmed in the midfield. The typical pressure we pressure we said in the call on the weekend it just didn't come from Diamond Creek. Usually when they play the Falcons the first term, they're at them. They put them under pressure. They rattle them they caused them to fumble. That just wasn't there on Sunday afternoon. It was pretty much Darabin from the the word go. It wasn't the, um, I suppose, the executioner type of Darabin that we've seen in the past. It was just to work their way into the game, get things going, um, chip the ball around, maintain possession, and when there was an opportunity to go forward, they went forward. So that's how they got... uh, started uh, in the first term kicking two goals one to just the two behinds. Diamond Creek didn't score in the second term Darabin only getting the two minor scores and then Diamond Creek had a little bit of a revival late in the third term and we thought, oh, maybe there's an opportunity, maybe there's a sniff. And then they came as if there was a howling breeze at Eddie had Stadium. We knew that can't happen, though, because of the roof. But uh, they came storming home in the, in the final term. But just unfortunately, the uh, slow start cost them in the end.
0: Goal kickers in the game for Darabin. Katie Brennan, two. Daisy Pierce, Meg McDonald and Ebony Marinoff all getting goals for uh, Diamond Creek. Two to Sophie Abitangelo, uh, Chloe Malloy and uh, Katie Loins getting goals. Let's focus on uh, Darabin first. Uh, Interesting to note, I guess, for what the coach enters, they put Daisy Pierce as best. Uh, What they put as their second best, which got the best on ground. And our best, uh, clearly, thanks to the three votes given by um, Lucy Watkin, was Karen Paxman.
5: Yeah, she was dynamite, wasn't she? She was a a player that was consistent across the four corners, was always uh, around the the contest. Um, Not only able to extract it and get the hard ball, but also ending up on the outside, often receiving handballs and, and creating opportunities for the Falcons on the outside. So. For me, she's the the important cog now in that Darabin midfield. In seasons gone by, you, you would have said it's Daisy Pearce, but uh, Karen Paxman, I think's now the, the leading midfield at the Darabin Falcons. and I think the, the year in the AFLW system certainly helped her improve. She was already a, a great player, but she's uh, verging on elite after her performance on the weekend. It'll be interesting to see how she goes in the second season of the AFLW, whether that's... growth continues and she really does stamp herself as an elite player. The other one that I thought had a, a very good game and wasn't put up in lights, but it was Meg McDonald. She created presence inside attacking 50, and that was one of the areas that we were a little concerned with Darabin going into the game. Obviously, with Darcy Vessio not in the side, we, we spoke at length about what their forward options may look like and how Lauren Arnell had played a, a similar sort of role in the, the game against the St Kilda Sharks in the preliminary final. But Meg McDonald was moved inside attacking 50 I think from uh, one of the comments she said after the game was the first time since round two or three that she played up forward and she just gave them a a bit of energy and a bit of life that had been lacking um, the last couple of weeks and Again, the the second efforts from her, I think that was the big thing that improved right across the team on the weekend for the Falcons was the second efforts around the contest when they weren't uh, with their hands on the the footy. They were just applying great pressure and just clamping down on Diamond Creek, which won them the game. And Meg McDonald was the leading person for that inside attacking 50. And obviously, uh, as you alluded to before, Katie Brennan with her two goals Uh, on the weekend uh, was just in sensational form. Uh, Again, uh, I'd like to say I predicted it, but she was hovering around that half-forward area where she looked most dangerous in the the finals the weeks before, and uh, she contributed with two handy goals, but just seemed to find a lot of space. Diamond Craig led her off the leash big time. Compared to the first final where there was always someone virtually hanging off her jumper. This time she, she had about five metres of space every time she went near the ball, which was meant she was very dangerous and meant that uh, the Darabin Falcons could capitalise every time they went forward.
0: Brennan was very smart on the day, uh, was realized that in that major semi-final, albeit as she admitted she did have the cold that day, she was forced wide by Harrington and uh, went one-on-one, and Harrington got the better of her. This time that she knew the Harrington tag was coming, and she did the smart thing. She not only just ran around the ground, she ran through heavy traffic to lose the Harrington tag, try to get on situations where there were two-on-two. And didn't at first go for the ball, just allowed Harrington to go chasing the ball and leave her, backing her Darabin teammates to win the ball. And Brennan worked wide, inning to receive, and that's where she did her damage.
5: And that comes down to a player that was playing her role for the team, not a player that, um, as you said there, Harrington, just chasing the footy rather than actually defending. I think you could make the case in the major semi-final she played her role. She didn't let Brennan out of her sight. She went with her the entire time just created that pressure uh, on her. She didn't do that on the weekend. And I think Diamond Creek, as a side, got a little bit caught up in the occasion and they all tried to just uh, maybe do a little too much rather than just do the role that was required. And that was one of the reasons why Katie Brennan got on top and one of the reasons why the Darabin Falcons won another premiership.
0: Having a look at the Diamond Creek side and for those that stood up, uh, I felt Chloe Malloy had a very quiet game despite that great effort, of course, Um, after essentially she did her AC joint. Um, We're still finding out more details on that, but we know it's not a collarbone broken collarbone, which is good news for her. So she'll be uh, okay in a couple of weeks, but won't take part in the draft combine. Um, She did that injury through excruciating pain. She kicked a goal, so she did something very important in that third term and gave them that little bit of a lift. But even before then, and if you take away the fact that, of course, it wasn't much use once she was injured – even before that moment, she wasn't really doing that much. And, um, but to, to be fair to her again, the ball just simply wasn't getting up there. The half-back to midfield transition to half-four was just breaking down constantly for Diamond Creek. Yeah, and that was from, from the word go. I can't remember whether it was the first or
5: second quarter, but I remember looking at a contest thinking... Geez, there's a lot of Diamond Creek players around the footy here, but they're just not hunting the ball as Darabin are. They're just waiting off, seeing what happens and and just trying to to cover. And it just was not working. Now, I don't know whether nerves got to them because – they were obviously favourites. It was a big occasion. They were playing on Eddie Etihad Stadium, the first time State League football's been played there for the women's competition. They were on Channel 7, whether that had anything to do with it as well. It just seems as though they got a, a little bit distracted and that belief and confidence that was there in the major semifinal didn't reappear until very late in the third term, even after the Chloe Malloy injury happened I, I don't think they they were were still right if, if that makes sense I mean the Chloe Malloy kicked the goal and you felt oh maybe there's an opportunity but they didn't really switch it on until I'd suggest probably the last five minutes of the third quarter which uh, for, for a side that had a lot of belief had everything in their favor in terms of a, a tired Darabin and we, we made a comment uh, late in the game that, that Darabin were looking a little tired on their, their legs. For a side that was fresh, for a side that had everything in their favour, they just did not, for, for one reason or another, they just did not uh, commit to the game of football the way they did two weeks prior. And it was a r- real shame because it, um, as, as we... Previewed last week, we we said that if ever the opportunity was there for Diamond Creek to, to get over the top of Darabin in a grand final, that was it. And unfortunately, they didn't execute.
0: And some of the better players that uh, we had a look at, Lauren Brazali uh, played well for them all day, just went in hard, committed. Lauren walkoff really came into the game in the second half when they started to lift, and she started to throw her presence around the back line a, a little bit more. Sophie Appetangelo stood up in the final quarter where she got the two goals. She started to help them get the run on. Unfortunately for her, she'll probably have nightmares about that miss from about 15 metres out on the run. If she would kicked it, one point, the difference, 90 seconds to go. Who knows? Who knows? So that's unfortunately one thing that will stay with her. But she, she showed a little bit in that final quarter and was there when the game was on the line. I am surprised, though, to see in their best players that they named this third best, the co-captain, Stephanie Chiocci, because, to be honest, we were quite critical of her in the broadcast box. Uh, we like Stephanie as a person. She's a great person to hang around and chat footy with. But, geez, when they really needed a captain to stand up on uh, grand final day... I, I just, my gut says she let them down. She just, a lot of times, she turned the ball over. I think it was that second quarter was an example, that half-back line that should have been that easy pass to Emma Grant, and she put it out of bounds on the full, the stage where there's maybe two minutes to go in the final, uh, final quarter. There's seven points down. She's got the ball at the half-forward flank. Should have gone back behind the player on the mark, tried some stupid loopy hand pass over the top, which got rejected and sent away. There's a few things that you look at and you go, just when you needed a, a cool, calm head, it looked like a bucket of nerves from her.
5: Yeah, and it's disappointing for her because she's had such a great season in 2017. And as we, I think, mentioned on the broadcast on the weekend, we we said how she'd almost transformed as a player into that, that leader. She finished 2016 with a lot of weight on her shoulders and just did not look like the player that we'd seen previously. Um, obviously got a new lease of life with with Collingwood during the summer and then came back to a Diamond Creek side that had players back from injury had a bit more experience with their recruits coming in, had a bit of fresh blood coming in as well uh, with some of the youngsters coming through and you felt like she'd taken the next step in terms of her leadership and, and being able to lead from the front and in the performances that we saw in the mid part of the year from her, she was fantastic and even in the that uh, major semi-final I'd argue that she had a she had a great game there as well she she played her role from the te- for the team and led from the front and as you alluded to before that's not what she did on the weekend she fell back into the old habits of thinking that she had to do everything to to try and get the the game started and, and I don't think she had to I just think she She had to be smarter about her her disposal usage. Um, As you said, the the handball that she gave away on the half-forward flank, it was never going to be there. I I don't know why she made that decision. Was it nerves? Was it the pressure of the situation? Maybe. And and that, for me, is the biggest trait for Diamond Creek. Uh, Walking away from that game, when the pressure was put onto them, early, when, when Darabin, not because Darabin got a r- roll on, but just because Darren, Darabin were on top, it just made Diamond Creek go back into those old ways of, oh dear, we don't know really what we're doing. We've just got to try and get the ball forward at all costs. And whilst that can work with you on, on occasions, you've got to be struck, more structured than what they were. It was uh, very much reminiscent of an old Diamond Creek side, which is very disappointing.
0: If you look at AFL history, um, and uh, for those that are traditionalists, yes, I'm saying AFL, not Australian football, because I'm looking at a particular league. Um, it, it, AFL men's history, there's the occasion of every once in a blue moon when a side pinches a flag because the stars aligned. As Essendon supporters, we know that 1993, um, and Kevin Sheedy spoke about it at, 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 uh, at the night after the grand final, where he said, yeah, we pinched that one. We're aiming for 95, 96, and we kind of got one early. We pinched a flag. Some may now look back at history at the 2016 Western Bulldogs and said the stars aligned for them perfectly to go from seventh to uh, premiers and pinch a flag. Will the St Kilda Sharks be sitting there after watching that grand final being going? We think we might have just missed the opportunity because Darabin that won the grand final, as we said at the top, weren't the Darabin evolved. They were deserving of the premiership, finished up all year, congratulations, won the flag. But it wasn't in a Darabin that we saw in 2014, 2015 that would crush the life out of their opponents. They got the job done. They did what they needed to do. But considering that when the Sharks will sit back and go, geez, we were one goal up at three-quarter time, we even had a chance to send it to extra time with a minute to go, and we missed the opportunity. And considering how... Diamond Creek faltered, particularly in the first half of the grand final, will the Sharks just be sitting back there going, looking at that grand final, looking at the two performances going, geez, we could have pinched that?
5: Potentially. Potentially. Um, and, and if you want to th- further that theory, how would Madison Gay be feeling? Mm. Um, she was a player that missed that set shot on goal. Kicked it into the player um, on the mark. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Maybe if the Sharks had been playing, Dolman Creek might have had a different mindset. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with it as well, I think, because they had quite comfortably beaten Darabin two weeks prior. They may have gone in thinking this is going to be a little bit of a walk in the park. I know coming up at Darabin side you never want to think that. But I, I just think there was that that air of... Um, you know, we don't have to try too hard today to be able to to win, and I think that caught them off guard. I think if the sharks had been there, I don't think that mentality would have happened. I think um, the sharks match up on Diamond Creek very, very well, so it would have been a, a vastly different game to to the one that we saw on the weekend. So. I don't know whether it would have been as easy if the Sharks were, were playing in the grand final um, as it was for the for the Darabin Falcons because, as as just said, it wasn't the typical Darabin performance. It was more of a an arm wrestle that was going their favour rather than a complete domination right across the ground, especially in that first first quarter. The only other player I'll mention for for Diamond Creek, who I did think tried uh, her guts out, was um, Katie Loins. and mm-hmm. I think she's had a fantastic second half of of 2017. Obviously, off the back of a, a knee injury uh, in 2016, came back through uh, Carlton earlier this year. Um, she she was dynamite again around the footy, just her tackling pressure and we questioned the commitment around the contest before for a majority of the Diamond Creek side she was she wasn't one of them she was always there she was always trying to lay the tackle the the second effort was always there from her and she for me uh, stood head and shoulders above anyone else on the field for the Diamond Creek side
0: and as I said on air Darabin undefeated in that white jumper the only time, only time they've ever worn it and uh, they might be able to retire it to say this is the undefeated jumper. Uh, it wasn't a bad class jumper, by the way, that they uh, wore for TV. No, well,
5: I'd be starting a campaign if we see them in the VFL Women's next year. Of course, it's the, uh, the other speculation that will continue now for the next couple of weeks. If we see them next year, I'm hoping that they wear that jumper because I think it's actually better than their uh, their usual home strip uh, with the with the blue bottom. I, I, I much prefer the white, much easier.
0: Well, let's see what happens. And thank goodness for the white numbers as well on the on the Diamond Creek backs. That made a lot of a difference for the commentators. <laughs> Very appreciative yes. of that. Very appreciative.
5: Especially from the uh, lofty heights that we found ourselves in on, uh, on Sunday afternoon, Pete. We're not used to that. We're usually <laughs> used to broadcasting off a park bench on the side of the ground.
0: And, and just before we go as well, as, as you alluded to, um, and it's been reported on The Age the day after the grand final, it's something we've been talking about a lot over the last couple of months uh, here at Girls Play Footy and uh, on the RSN Carnival uh, Match of the Day coverage is Sadly, the season has closed and we are all none the wiser on who will actually be playing in the VFLW next year. The league announced that by the end of October they will announce uh, who will be taking part. Literally, we've only got a handful of days left and there's no signs on the horizon at the moment on who's in, who's out. Yeah, it's, a,
5: it's a, in, a, in a way it's disappointing that we haven't got clarity going into to 2018 as we've spoken at length it's the direction that the, the competition needs to go in terms of getting the professional facilities and and uh, having the the adequate support staff around clubs we, we get that that all makes sense but I think that the one disappointing thing is that the clubs that have done the hard yards not only over the last two years of, of the VFL women's but all prior to that in the, the VWFL and and all, all the, the sides that have come before it to, to get women's footy to this point in Victoria were, would have been nice if that was the final game for both Darabin and Diamond Creek and, and for all, all the sides, the Muggers, the Sharks, the Eastern Devils. Um, if that was the last game, it would have been nice just to, to create a little moment to reflect on on the achievements that these amateur football clubs that have been required to step up and provide the best that they possibly can to give these female athletes the best opportunity that they can to play elite football. They've done an incredible job, and I'll put it to you this way. I doubt that many local suburban clubs would be able to do the step-up nowadays to the VFL men's competition um, or, or even to the to the AFL, because for a period of time, the top flight level of women's football here in Victoria was probably the uh, most elite competition. So for what these Victorian community clubs, as they've been branded, have done for uh, for women's football they need some credit, and they probably need more credit than uh, what they've received um, over the last um, couple of months with this speculation about what the season will look like, what the competition will look like going forward. So I think that's, for me, that it's it's great that we're moving in the direction of a a professional competition, and I think it's fantastic that AFL clubs are getting involved to help uh, develop the skills, the, the coaches, the facilities, I get, I get all that, but it just would have been nice to, to celebrate, especially prior to the grand final, maybe on the weekend, just have a moment before where we can reflect on where women's footy has come over the last, you know, even, even if we only went back the last five years because of the massive growth that we've seen there, but really the last 20, probably 30 years of where women's football has come from in this state. And just a pat on the back to say, thank you for your support thank you for getting women's footy to where it is now we're going we're going forward your role is still important back at community level to continue to provide opportunities for the players to come through the pathways i just think it would have been nice just to say thank you uh, and i think that's that's the biggest missed opportunity. If it goes the way we think it will go and we we probably won't be seeing too many of the the clubs um, in the VFLW if any next year or if we do see them, they won't be in the the current um, format that we've seen them over the last couple of seasons. So I just think it would have been nice just to say thank you and goodbye Um, and that's probably the biggest disappointment.
0: Indeed, and I think uh, from uh, both a, a a olive branch point of view and also a marketing point of view, I felt that the the league missed a golden opportunity on Grand Final day. For example, they could have either put a montage together, or in fact done a uh, done a uh, lap of honour and then have the clubs that uh, were XV. WFL that didn't make the grand final, have them do a lap of honour and have them form a guard for the two sides that were coming out with players dressed in their jumpers of those respective clubs as kind of like a final farewell and final salute to their clubs at this level. And it could have also been the opportunity during the pregame or at halftime where they could have uh, officially announced saying, well, these are the AFL clubs that are coming in for VFLW licences. As we know, Essendon was one of those that uh, had put their hand up saying that they wanted to come in. They could have announced those clubs and at the same time, like Boxall have announced their tryout day for October, they could have announced their tryout days as well. So there could have been a lot of publicity and height of, oh, look at all these AFL clubs that are coming to the VFLW next year. These are the tryout days, get involved, there could have been a lot of hype coming out, particularly for the 100,000 audience that was watching at home throughout the state.
5: Yeah, it was a a prime opportunity for a bit of reflection, but also, as you say, to create uh, a bit of momentum going forward because I think the one thing that we're going to lose uh, with these community clubs um, being phased out is that loyalty and support that we we see at games uh, throughout the competition – we need an opportunity to begin getting some momentum heading into 2018 if we're getting these uh, AFL clubs involved at state league level they need something to support they need a face to support they need uh, they just need something that they can attach themselves to and as you said it was a it was an opportunity for for something to be done there, we're, we're fans of these uh, very proud clubs, um, and you know they've got uh, great social atmospheres, and and I hope that's not lost. I think it might be, I, but I hope it's not. Um, and Geelong's an example of that with the, the way, as I've said throughout the season, the way that they've structured their not only on field but also off field. Um, with, with the, the memberships that they've offered and, and the uh, connection that they've got to grassroots footy, you, you hope that that's, that's the style that we're going to see right across the competition. I fear that that's probably not going to, to happen, which is going to be sad because you look at the support Geelong got, and I know we we did a couple of games where there were were uh, games on at Simmons Stadium or close in the vicinity for Geelong fans, so there was a lot of hype and activity around the precinct, but you, you just feel that they, they had something that they could attach themselves to. They had the, the, the uh, something to recognise. And, and as you said, it would have been nice if uh, if it was a closing on the, of the chapter on the weekend, we could have begun to get a sneak peek at, at, at the new chapter of, of women's footy and, and begin to, to say, right, this is the, the direction that we're heading, jump on board, let's see where it goes. But... Um, Unfortunately we have to we play the waiting game for, for a couple of more weeks to, to work out what's going on and what will happen. But you just hope that the sport support that we've had throughout two thousand and seventeen just doesn't die away.
0: Well, Coxie, thank you very much again for joining us here on Girls Play Footy and all your reviews and previews that you've done throughout the twenty seventeen season. And we look forward to catching up with you in twenty eighteen, boss with their chat a little bit of AFLW, and for the VFLW, for whenever that starts and for whoever may be participating.
5: Yes, uh, it has been a pleasure to come on not only to do these uh, reviews, Pete, but to broadcast again with you in 2017. I can't wait to do it again next season.
0: And that wraps up the show for yet another week. A quick reminder for all the latest women's footy news, including about the AFLW licences, just go to our website, girlsplayfooty.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media via Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, just search for Girls Play Footy. I'll be back again next week with another episode focusing on the AFL Euro Cup and as well the draft combine we've got coming up. And let's not forget in mid-October, we've got the AFLW Draft. And as we spoke about the USAFL Nationals in late October, plenty of women's footy news to cover over the next few weeks here on Girls Play Footy. Until next time, it's bye for now.